Are you ready for the word? Stop and think for a moment. Stop and think for a moment. As I segue in to today's message, stop and think for a moment. God, the Father, sending his only son, sending his only son. All the parents in the house, you, you understand and you know that there is absolutely nothing that you will not do for your child. You will take their place in a heartbeat. You will stand in their place without any hesitation. But it's another thing to be able to say, I'll give my, my child in my, I'll give my child up. So think for a moment with me as we navigate through this. God the Father, he sends his only begotten son, not because of anything the son had done, not because of anything that he had done wrong, but it is because he loves us. He loves us that much. Yes, he loved us, but he still loves us that much. So much that there was a cross. So much that he died on that cross as a sacrificial lamb. And when we understand what Jesus went through, what we under, when we understand what he persevered through and what he had to survive, we understand that the significance of the cross, we understand that the significance of the cross allows us to understand that there is a choice that needs to be made. That the cross requires a response. It demands a choice. And, account, and an account in the scriptures that give us a very good picture of this is found in the book of Luke. Luke gives us a clear picture in Luke 23 and 26, it's in the YouVersion app. Now as they led him, speaking of Jesus, away, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon the Cyrenian, who was coming from the country, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. So this is the account of what is taking place when Jesus is bearing the cross. Jesus had already been through so much pain. Jesus had already endured the lashings and had endured the affliction, the beating, the mockery, the torture, as the crowd is yelling, crucify him, crucify him, bearing the weight of the cross, bearing the weight of the cross. And as you fast forward to verse 32, it lets us know that there were also two others, and it clearly tells us who they were, it tells us their occupation, tells us their position. Two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, when they arrived to this place, there they crucified him and the criminals on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said in the middle, can you imagine with me, in the middle of the ridicule, and in the middle of the pain and in the middle of whatever he is feeling in his physical body, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It was not directed to just a few. It was not directed to solely an exclusive amount, but even those who are yelling, crucify him. Father, forgive them, for they know not 
what they do. The love, the mercy, the compassion, that he saw what was beyond the cross. He saw that what was beyond that moment of affliction, and the Bible tells us, and they divided his garments, and they cast lots, and the people stood looking on, but even the rulers with them sneered, saying, he saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine, and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription was also written over him in the letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. This is the king of the Jews. But he's not only the king of the Jews. He's the king of glory. He is the king of, of everything. So they got half of it right. And a lot of people get it right halfway. A lot of people get it right halfway. Then one of the criminals, the Bible says, who were hanged, blasphemed him, saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself and save us and save us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justify, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man... This man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus, in that instance, in that moment, instantaneously, he is not consumed by his pain and he is not consumed by the affliction in his body. But we see through this that from the cross, he is still reaching from the cross, he is still saving. From the cross, he is still moving. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you today, today you will be with me in paradise. This incredible story, narrative of what takes place is the picture of mankind. It is the portrait or the mirror of humanity, of you and me. We're on one side of the cross. We're on one side of the cross, and, and we see that in the story there are two thieves that may have a lot in common. They both have a sketchy past. They're both guilty without a doubt. They both have made poor choices. They both have made bad choices. There's lots of mess-ups that, that have occurred in their lives. And here they stand, one on one side, one on the other. They're both in the same place. Lots of mess-ups, and time has gone by, and we understand that they got caught. They were per per uh, prosecuted. We understand that they were sentenced to death, and they end up here. So these two men that we don't know a whole lot about, but they are both dying. They're both in this place, and to, next to a man that they know who he is, uh, next to a man who is in the middle, both of them in the same place, but I'm grateful for the but because of grace and mercy. Hallelujah. They will not leave the story the same. Because of grace and mercy, they will not, their story will not finish in the same manner. And it is all because of the man in the middle named Jesus. 
Both men had the same access. Both men had the same proximity, and I dare to say that both men in the story had the same opportunity, but one man saw him in a different perspective. Can I tell you this morning that if you see him as a carpenter, you can get your house fixed, but if you see him as a savior, you can get your life fixed. It is all about how you see him this morning. And I would rise to tell you today that we see him as a God that is more than enough. I rise to tell you today that I that I tell I tell you today that he is El Shaddai, the God that is more than enough. He is Jehovah Jireh. He is my provider. If I am alone, he is Jehovah. He is Jehovah Rapha. If I need, if I am anxious and worried, he is Jehovah Shalom. He is my peace. Whatever you need him to be this morning, he is a God that can meet you there. He is not just a carpenter. He doesn't just care about your house, but he cares about your heart, and he cares about your soul, and he cares about your mind, and he is here today in 2022 to reach you in whatever position you you walked in here today and I would just challenge you that you would remove the obstacles and the barriers and everything that has stood in the way of you and seeing him who he is and say, God, I believe that you can. I believe that you can heal my life. You can heal my marriage. You can heal my mind. You can heal my heart. I believe that you can restore and you can renew. I believe that you can do. Is there anybody in here that needs a miracle from God? Can I tell you he's still a miracle worker. Is there anybody here that needs a door? to? Can I tell you he still opens doors? Is there anybody here that doesn't know where to go? Can I tell you he's still a way maker? It's all about how we see him. He is the God that can do it all. How are you viewing him today? When you read the story, there are so many takeaways, but I want to share about three that stood out to me. I want to share with you briefly three truths that stand out to me about salvation. Because there's nothing that the enemy would want more than to distort, to distract, and to be able to change what our what our view is about salvation. And for us to understand the truth of what God's word says about it. He would want us to be deceived that we'll never do enough in, in our own lives. That we'll never be good enough. That we'll never arrive to that point. But the truth is that we truly need to understand the glaring facts, the information that is true to, to us today. And the first is this, that the thief proves that good works are not required for salvation. We are not saved from good works. We're saved to good works. This man cannot do one good thing. This man has no time on his side to be able to accomplish anything good. No time at all. Nothing that permits him to be able to get off of that cross and to be able to do some good deeds that would ultimately put him in a position for salvation. That is not the case. He could not do any of that. Literally, can I tell you, there is nothing that we can do. It is not about being good. 
It is about God Almighty. It is not about doing good. It is about the fact that he is good. It is about him. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 say, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Jesus saw us in our fallen state, and he makes up the distance. He closes the gap from where we are and from where he is. He closes the distance. So in this place, whether you feel like you are a mile away from him or whether you feel like you are 10 feet away from him, Jesus made up the distance. It's not about how bad you are. It's not about how good you are. It is simply about Jesus. So we have to understand that today that salvation is a gift, that we are saved by grace because he loves us that much. It is not about what you can do. It is not about, not about what I can do. It is about him and the finished work of the cross. So we have to understand and we have to be able to, to understand the truth of this, to be able to be able to get to a place where we can appreciate and embrace the 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 validity of his word. The second thing is that the thief proves that God loves lost people. It doesn't matter what you've done. And it doesn't matter where you've been. In one instant, the thief recognized who was next to him. In one instant, the thief recognized who was next to him. The criminal, no doubt, had, had a rap sheet, had a, a long line of, tra of bad trajectory in his life. Uh, but in one instance, this is the beauty of salvation. In one instance, uh, his life was changed. Uh, his life was turned upside down because of who was next to him. Because of who was next to him. In one moment, the, the Bible lets us know that the thief recognized. And in that same moment when he said, would you do me a favor? Would you remember me when you are in your kingdom? In one moment, in that same moment, Jesus tells him today, today, today. And he's here to tell somebody in this place today, he loves you that much. He loves you that much. I, I know you've had a bad life. I know you've had some tough things come, but he loves you that much. Today, he says, you will be with me in paradise. He loves you. God loves you just the way you are in your failure. Yes. In your disappointment. Yes. He loves you, not because of what we did or not because the lack thereof, but it is because of what he did. He loves you that much. And it's available to you. It's available to, to the family member that you've been praying for and believing God to do an incredible work in their life. It's available for them. He loves lost people. And the final thing is that the thief proves that there is a place for you in heaven. There is a place for you in heaven. There's a seat at the table for you. There's a seat at the table for you. 
because he loves you, because he loves us, there's a seat at the table for you. Your past doesn't matter. There's a seat for you. Your poor choices are not too much for God. There's a seat at the table for you. Your mistakes may seem unforgivable, but there is a seat at the table for you. You can be seated in heavenly places right now. Right now. You can be seated in heavenly places, but it requires a decision on our end. It requires for you and I to make an active choice. I love the book of Ephesians because it shows us that God's saving grace and his infinite love was displayed before we even existed. Isn't that incredible to to just understand and to hear? Isn't that in Ephesians chapter 1, Verses 3 through 6, Paul says this. He said, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Did we catch that? We are in the beloved. I cannot even imagine what the knowledge of our being predestined to salvation feels like. What the, to know that we were chosen before the earth even existed, that there was an election that took place in heaven, but the only one that voted was God, and it was an overwhelming majority of one to zero And we were elected just like that. It was... It was in him, the Bible tells us, that we obtained an inheritance. I didn't have anything. I was on my way to hell. But in him, I have obtained an inheritance. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. It was God's will that we would be saved. And it was according to the counsel, the Bible tells us, of his will that we were adopted by him through Jesus. It was by grace, the Bible continues to tell us, that you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, but it is the gift of God, not a result of works. So that no one could boast and no one could be, no one could puff up their chest. No, but on the cross, the Bible tells us that Jesus said these words. He said, it is finished. He said, it is finished. When Jesus said it is finished, it comes from the Greek word teleo, which means to bring to an end or to say it is accomplished or to complete or to finish. But when you take this term and you put it in a Greek sentence, when you construct It literally means to be paid in full. It was an accounting term that that those in the accounting profession used. And that when someone would pay their debt, they would be given this word, tilio, which means paid in full. Jesus says this 
remark. He says this word, and that is why Mark 16, 19 tells us that Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father because he understood that his redemptive work in that moment was done. And when we look at the book of Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 10, it says that it was done, it was paid in full once and for all. Our high priest, the Bible tells us that he offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, but that is good for all time. And then the Bible tells us that he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. So what does this mean that before Jesus, we understand that in the temple, before Jesus, we understand that in the temple, when the priest would come from the Old Testament to the moment that Jesus comes to the cross, the, the priest could never, the, the, the high priest could never be at rest because there was always another sacrifice to be done. There was was always going to be more sin to be paid for. The, the high priest could never take a seat because his work was never done. He could never rest in the fact that the work was finished since we are not saved by works. Jesus comes into the picture and the Bible tells us that he finishes it. It is paid in full. So when Jesus finishes, he sits down at the right hand of God in the place of honors, the Bible tells us, because there is no more work that needs to be done. What the high priest could not accomplish, the, the position of rest that he could never obtain, the high priest, Jesus accomplished it on the cross of Calvary. And since we are not saved by works, we too, you too, can rest in the redemptive work of Christ. You can rest in the redemptive work of Christ. That's why Jesus is now seated. And get ready for this. There is a seat for us to sit in right now. If you have repented, if you have trusted in our high priest, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, as I draw to a close, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive. He made us alive together with Christ that by grace you have been saved. And not only did he just make us alive, the Bible tells us that he raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Paul says that we are already seated with Christ in heavenly places so I come to tell you, take your seat. So I come to tell you, take your seat. When a person repents, trusts Jesus, they have finished all that they need to do. 
when we trusted in Christ, the Bible tells us that we were made alive together with him. Death has no place in our lives because of him. And in contrast to being in, in Adam, the first Adam, in a state that we were all dead, in a state that we had no hope, 1 Corinthians 15.22 tells us that now in Christ we have all been made alive. And we are told that we are seated with him in heavenly places. Meaning that like Christ, our work is done because we have trusted in him. We, our job, his job was done on the cross. Our job is to trust in him, believe in him. And when you believe in him and when you trust in him, you take a seat at the table. We are not saved by works, but we are saved for works. But our works had nothing to do with us being saved. The Bible tells us that you are no longer strangers, you're no longer aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Can you, can you take this idea and, and, and understand what it means for us today to be seated in heavenly places? Can you rest in that knowledge? Can you rest in that promise that if you can rest in that, you can rest from trying to add works to your salvation? Because Jesus accomplished what we clearly could not. He died so that we might live. And that's what it means to already be seated with Christ in the heavenly places. So take a seat. So take a seat. You're tired. You're trying to do things on your own. He doesn't say that we are standing in heavenly places. Because if I stand for a while, my feet begin to hurt. Because if I'm standing, I get weary. And there's effort that my body has to invest to stand. But there is a seat that, that Christ has made a way. For you there is a seed that takes out the effort of what I have to do because when when I sit down on this chair I am trusting and believing that this chair is going to hold me I can take a load off and I can rest in his promise I can take a seat and know that the promises of God are yes and they are amen. I can take a seat in the work that he did and say, Jesus, I could never do it, but you are more than enough 
for me. I, you are tired here today. You're weary. You're, you're frustrated. You're lonely. You're going through a dark season. You feel like your back is against the wall. You feel like you're just always just going in circles and it's a monotonous cycle. Can I tell you, take a seat. There's a seat at the table for you where you don't have to worry because we serve a God that says, do not worry about tomorrow. Where, where you don't have to have so much anxiety because I serve a God that says that I can cast all my cares on him because he cares for me. So take a seat. So take a seat. You don't have to worry about doing things on your own. You have to trust in the God that says, come to me if you're heavy burdened and if you're laden, then I will give you rest. It's not a rest for your physical body exclusively. No, no. It is a rest for your soul and it is a rest for your mind that you could sleep at night and you could lay down and say, I am accepted in the beloved that if this world never accepts me and if society thinks ill of me, I know that I am accepted. I know my place in him and I know that he loved me enough to pull up a chair and say, hey, take a seat. Take a seat you can rest in his promises you can rest in his forgiveness you can rest in his goodness you can rest in his mercy you can rest in his power you can rest in his love you may be tired here today you may be going through a lot constantly going in circles but can I tell you there's a seat that is available for you that he loves you that much with an incredible love that he says, there's a seat. You don't have to do things on your own. You can simply rest in the fact of who he is and what he has done. And it's available for you. And it's available for you. There's a seat for you today. Maybe this is your first time here. Maybe you've been here countless times. But the common denominator is if you are tired and if you are weary, he offers you something that, is ex that can exclusively come from him. It's available for you. It's available for you. There's rest for your soul. Father, in this moment, I thank you for your word that is alive. For your word that never returns void. I thank you for your word that locates us in the different predicaments that we may find ourselves. I thank you for your word that finds us. Whether strong or weak, you find us. I thank you for the finished work of the cross. I thank you for standing in the gap and doing what we could not do. I thank you that today you provide 
for someone in this place a path to come to you. I thank you for the invitation that you stand at the door and you knock. And that if anyone hears your voice and that if they open the door, I thank you that we have the power to choose today to be able to open that door. And your word says that you will come in and dine with us and us with you. I thank you for a promise like that. I thank you for your promises that find us in vulnerable states. I thank you for your promises that are yes and amen for us today, God. Let us rest in your work. Let us rest in your promises. Let us rest in the truth. Let us live by every word that proceeds out of your mouth. Let us rest in that, God. And I thank you for for the parable of the one. I thank you for the parable of the one that even though there may be 99 sheep, that you go after the one. I thank you. I thank you that even though sometimes I don't feel like I have value, that you come after us. I thank you, God, that someone in this place today that may feel like they don't have any worth, that you chase after them with a relentless love. So right now with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you say today, today's the day that I give my heart to Jesus. Today's the day that I stop trying to do things on my own, that I try to earn salvation, but that I rest in his promise. You have never given your heart and your life to Jesus, but today is the day with every head bowed, every eye closed, I invite you to just raise your hand right where you're at. Right where you're at, he sees you. He loves you. He's here to remind you, I see you. So here I I invite you to just pray this prayer together with me. Everyone at the sound of my voice, would you join me? Dear Jesus, thank you for dying for me, for loving me at my worst, for loving me when I was unlovable. I give you my heart, come into my life, be Lord of it all, and let me live the life you died to give me. In Jesus' name, amen. The angels rejoice and God's people rejoice for everyone that gave their life to Jesus today.